Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben, and this morning we are continuing in our series talking about the unseen war. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. Just hold your place there. Uh, But this battle is raging in the spiritual realm. And this morning, I want to talk about our greatest ally in the battle. And it's the gift that Jesus gave to his disciples, the Holy Spirit. And like some of you, I grew up in church. And I can remember as a child, whenever I heard about the Holy Spirit, I didn't understand who he was or what he did. And maybe you can relate to that. I can remember uh, hearing about God the Father. And that, in some way, made sense to me because I have a father. And I heard about God the Son, Jesus Christ. And that made sense to me because I am my father's son. And so I understand that relationship. But when the topic turned to God the Spirit, I really didn't have a point of reference And I can remember hearing him referred to as the Holy Ghost. Some of you probably grew up in churches that referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And the best comparison that my young mind could come up with was this. Uh, Casper, Casper the Friendly Ghost. I seriously can remember sitting in church hearing about the Holy Spirit and this is the image that came to my mind. Like uh, maybe, you know, this is what the Holy Spirit's like. He's a ghost, but he does good things instead of scaring people. And, uh, you know, as I grew older, I realized that probably wasn't it. But I heard about these churches that were really into the Holy Spirit. And honestly, they just seemed weird to me. I mean, these were churches where people were falling down on the floor and spinning around in circles and saying words that I didn't understand. And I thought, man, if that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure I want him. And I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or or to devalue anyone. I'm just telling you about me. Growing up, that was one of the views that I had of the Spirit. And there was just so much mystery for me around the person of the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if that's true for any of you. And isn't it true that what often happens when we don't understand something is that we just kind of ignore it. We avoid the conversation. We focus on other things. And that's what I did early on with the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But one of the books that I found really helpful on this topic is the book Forgotten God by Francis Chan. And the subtitle of that book says it all. It says, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't read this book, I would highly recommend it. But I want to read for you just a sentence uh, or two from the introduction where Francis Chan says this. He says, If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom... One of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-size results. And I think Francis Chan is dead on with that. I mean, how often have we just pushed forward in our own strength, in our own wisdom, only to gain human-size results when we could have tapped in to the power of the Holy Spirit and gained God-sized results. And so this morning, we're going to look to Scripture to understand who the Spirit is and what He does in our lives. And so whatever your faith background may be, whatever understanding you may have about the Holy Spirit, I'd just like to ask this morning that you compare that against Scripture, because Scripture is our guide, and Scripture is where we look to know truth. Because again, I I believe we have no greater resource in the unseen war than the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, We're going to spend our time today in the New Testament, but I want you to know that the Spirit is active throughout all of Scripture. 
And to give you a brief overview of his activity, I want to show you a, a short video that was put together by the folks at the Bible Project. Let's watch this together. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but what is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. (sighs) So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, Ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. 
So in that video, one of the things that I hope you picked up on is that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on specific people for a specific time to help them accomplish a specific purpose, and then he would leave. But this is going to change in the New Testament, and that's what we're going to see this morning in John chapter 14. If you were here with us a few weeks ago, you know that this is part of the interaction that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he was crucified. They're in the upper room, and Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he's going to leave, but that when he leaves, there's someone else who will be coming in his absence. And in verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor to help you and to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. Now let's pause right there because this is the change. Jesus says that this spirit of truth will be with the disciples forever. No more coming and going. Once you receive the spirit, he will be with you forever. And he refers to the spirit as another counselor. And the Greek word that's translated here is the word parakletos. Parakletos. And it comes from two words. First, the word para, which should be familiar to us. We think of words like paralegal uh, or parachurch organization. That, that word para just means alongside of. It's a person who comes alongside of someone else to help and to assist or to aid. And then the second word is the word kletos, which comes from the Greek word kaleo, which means called. So when you put those two words together, it means called alongside of. The parakletos is called alongside of. And parakletos is sometimes translated as counselor. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. This is how it's translated here in John 14. And the Holy Spirit is our counselor in the sense that he guides us and directs us. And just as some of us have visited with human counselors, and they've helped us understand what to do next, what to stop doing, this is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. He is our counselor. But parakletos can also be translated as helper. And we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is there to come alongside of us and to help us. Romans 8.26 describes him this way, where it says that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that when I'm weak, then am I strong. And he says, I'll actually boast in my weakness because that's when the Holy Spirit's power kicks in. His power is made perfect in weakness. The Holy Spirit is our helper. But that's not all. Parakletos can also be translated as intercessor. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us. And the second half of Romans 8.26 shows us this when it says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And just think about what this passage is saying. That when you are out of strength and out of ideas and you don't even know how to pray for the situation at hand, you can know that the Holy Spirit of God is praying to the Father God on your behalf because he is our intercessor what an incredible truth. The parakletos is our counselor, he is our helper, and he is our intercessor. Now back to John 14, look at what else Jesus tells his disciples in verse 17. He says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
So again, Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going away, but the Father will send another counselor. And now he says, this counselor won't just be with you, he's going to be in you. And I have to wonder what the disciples were thinking as Jesus was telling them this. Because if it was me, I think my first response would be, Jesus, don't leave. Like this other counselor sounds great, but honestly, I think I'd rather have you here in the flesh and blood. And think about it. These guys have been with Jesus for three years. They've left everything to follow him. And he's accessible to them. They can interact with him. They can ask him questions and get a response. And even though they sometimes have no idea what Jesus is talking about, still, he's there. He's accessible. And I have to believe there was this conflict going on in their hearts. But look at what Jesus says just a couple of chapters ahead in John chapter 16 in verse 7. He says, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says this is actually for your good. Because he knows that having the spirit inside is actually better than being present himself in the body. Now why is that? Well, I think it's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, you think you have access to me right now while I'm in the flesh, but wait until I'm inside your flesh. Like you think you're comforted just by being around me, by having me close. It doesn't get any closer than me living inside of you. And you think you've seen power just by being around me. Wait until you see the power that's unleashed when I move in and take control of your life. You're going to have power to overcome sin and to overcome worry and to live a fruitful life. This is what happens when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And this is why Jesus says it's better to have the Spirit inside of us than God in the flesh with us. And you know, I'll confess, like having Christ here with us still sounds really appealing to me. And one day his church is going to be with him forever. And I cannot wait for that day. I hope you're looking forward to that day as well. But until then, this is the gift that Jesus has given. The parakletos, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, who has Jesus given the gift of his spirit to? I want to address that. And I also want to be honest to say, I didn't write this part of the message until yesterday. And so it didn't make it onto your notes page, and I'm sorry for that. I know there are some of you who rely on that notes page, uh, but the Paracletos works on his own time, folks, okay? (laughs) And so uh, if you're taking notes, just make a third section somewhere and write this, right? Who has the Spirit? That's section number two. And here's the answer. The New Testament teaches that every person who surrenders their life to Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. Okay, every person who surrenders their life to Christ is given the gift of the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. And this can become confusing because there are some who teach what they call the baptism of the Spirit. And they teach it as something that happens separate from the believer's baptism. It's something that happens later at a later date down the road, but scripture simply does not teach this. But I want to show you what it does teach, and I want you to look at what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14. He says, And you were also included in Christ 
when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I want to ask you something. As you see that passage, can you go back one, Russ? I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was spread across two. Yeah, forget it. I'll just tell you the answer. You know when they received the Holy Spirit? It was when they believed. The passage says, when you believed, you were marked with a seal. And Paul points out that the Spirit is a deposit. He's a deposit made inside of them, not just in some of the believers, but in all of the believers, guaranteeing the salvation. Now, I want you to also look at what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9. He says this. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now watch this. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now think about that statement. What does it, when is it that a person belongs to Christ? It's the moment when they are saved, correct? When you give your life to Christ, he now is in possession. You now belong to him. So understand that Paul could not make a statement like this unless the receiving of the Holy Spirit was an identifying proof of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit could not be the seal of salvation, as Paul calls him in Ephesians 1, if he is not received at the moment of salvation. And this is why we do not adhere to a second and later baptism of the Spirit. But here's what we do believe. And you can write this down. We believe in one baptism, but many fillings. One baptism, many fillings. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, do not get drunk on wine. Okay, so Paul is using an illustration of something else that can influence us. Wine, alcohol. He says that leads to debauchery. So don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now think about alcohol. Just as it is with alcohol, you don't get drunk once and then stay drunk forever, right? You've got to drink more tomorrow and more the day after that. But Paul says, don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's a present tense command. Today, right now, be filled. And then when you read it tomorrow, still present tense. Be filled again. This is something that happens over and over. It's not a one and done. This is an ongoing command. So one baptism, but many fillings. Be filled and then be filled again and again and again. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, to see that, let's go back to John 16, and let's pick it up in verse 8 where we left off. And again, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the coming Holy Spirit, and here's what he says. He says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so on your, your notes page, what does the Spirit do? Write this down. The Spirit shows us the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. The Spirit shows us the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. Sin and righteousness and judgment. 
And then Jesus is going to go on to give us three sentences to explain each of these points. In verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Jesus says the Spirit will convict us of sin. And this is what we usually think of when we think of being convicted, isn't it? Being convicted of sin. The Holy Spirit is the voice when you're about to do something wrong saying, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't steal that. Don't respond that way. It's the wrong thing. And Jesus says that the Spirit does this because men don't believe him. How gracious is our God, that not only did he send his one and only son to show us how to live, and not only did he give us his word to tell us how to live, but that in those moments when we think our way is better and we don't believe him, that he still pursues us and he convicts us by his Holy Spirit of the wrong thing. Listen, if you have ever thought that his conviction of sin was annoying or cumbersome or undesirable, I want to challenge you on that because it is not. It is a picture of his grace. His Holy Spirit's conviction of sin in our lives is nothing short of God's grace and we should rejoice over his conviction Thank you, Lord, for not letting me off the hook, for not letting me ruin my life, wreck my marriage, destroy my relationships, for not letting me go my own way without feeling that burning of your Holy Spirit in my heart. It's God's grace that he shows us the wrong thing. But he doesn't only convict us of sin. Jesus says he also, the Holy Spirit also convicts us of righteousness So he shows us the right thing to do instead. And why is that important? Well, look at verse 10. Jesus says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So when Jesus Christ walked the earth, he was a present physical example of righteousness lived out. That's why we we talk around here about walking as Jesus walked. Because if the disciples ever wanted to know the right thing to do, all they had to do was look at Jesus. Everything he ever did and said and thought was righteous all the time. But now he's telling his disciples that he's going away. And he says, because you'll see me no longer, now the Spirit is going to show you the right thing. He's going to remind you of everything I said and everything I did, and he'll convict you of righteousness. I bet some of you have experienced this in your heart. Just that sense of the right thing to do, that the Spirit is telling you, do this. This is the right thing to do. There was a a man a while back, I won't mention his name, but uh, just a short while ago, this man from our church stopped by the office. It was the middle of the week, and there had been a time uh, in this man's life where he had gone through a very difficult season, and our church was able to come alongside of him and to provide for him in some specific ways. And now, on the other side of that situation, this guy was driving by the church, driving down Pleasant Street, and he had just sold something, maybe on Craigslist or something like that, and he had a 100 bucks in his pocket. And he felt the Holy Spirit telling him, it's time for you to help someone else. And so he obeyed that, and he came into the office, and he told us what had happened, and he handed Paul that hundred bucks, and he said, I want you to give this to somebody who needs it. I feel like the Lord has told me, this isn't mine, this is someone else's. And we were able to bless a family in our church because this man obeyed 
when he sensed the Spirit showing him the right thing to do. So the Spirit will convict us of sin. He'll show us the wrong thing. He'll convict us of righteousness. He shows us the right thing. And then Jesus says he'll convict us of judgment. And this is why it matters. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And who is the ruler of this world? Well, Jesus is talking about Satan, the enemy of our souls. And Paul did a great job last week showing us that Satan is present and he is active in our world today and he is looking for opportunities to destroy what God is doing in your life and in mine. But Jesus reminds us here that Satan has been judged, that the chaos and evil he brings into this world will not last forever. His days have been numbered. And when Christ returns, his time is up and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire where he will spend eternity. But please know this, until that day, his goal is to take as many people with him as he possibly can. That's why Peter tells us that he roams around like a lion looking for someone to devour. And the Holy Spirit is here to convict us that that day of judgment is coming. We act like we have all the time in the world, but I'm telling you folks, time is running short and the Spirit is convicting us of this and our response to his conviction, it matters. In 2004, my wife and I bought a house in Westfield, Indiana that had been repossessed by the bank. And the previous owners of that home apparently weren't very happy that their home had been repossessed. And so they did everything they could do on their way out to destroy that place. And when we walked through it to look at it for the first time, I mean, cabinets had been torn off the wall, flooring was ripped up, doors had been kicked and buckled in, there were holes all over the walls, Uh, the HVAC system had been destroyed, the garage door opener was gone, the main water line into the house had been cut, and the doors and the windows were left wide open, letting in all of the elements and all of God's creation who had found shelter in this house. So they just wanted to do whatever they could to stick it to the bank on their way out, right? And honestly, we weren't upset about that because we got a great deal on this home. And because of our great friends at Genesis who came and helped us uh, put this place back together, that place became a really, a really nice home for my family for about six years. But the, these previous owners, they apparently didn't tell anyone that they were leaving because for about the first year that we lived in that home, we continually got their mail. And so we knew their names. We didn't know if they were still in the area. We didn't know who they were, but we were very familiar with their names. And then one Sunday morning, it happened. And uh, I was hanging out in the lobby, and this was back in the days when Genesis was small enough that you knew when someone was new in the lobby, and here was this new couple in the lobby. And so I went up to them, and I said, hey, my name's Ben. What's your name? And they said their name, and it sounded really familiar. And all of a sudden, the light went off in my head, and I just blurted out, hey, I get your mail all the time. And, uh, and they kind of looked, you know, curious. And I said, yeah, did you used to live at, you know, such and such address? And they looked at each other cautiously and kind of, yeah. And I said, I live in your old house. <laughs> and as those words came out of my mouth, it's like all three of us recognized at the same time what that meant. Oh, you're the ones who destroyed my house on your way out. 
And I fumbled over my words, and I remember trying to smooth it over and just tell them how great of a deal I got on the house, just (laughs) anything to make them feel better in the moment. But it was just so obvious. I could see it in their eyes, just dead to rights. The wrong had been exposed. They were guilty, and they knew it. And man, haven't we all been there? Like different circumstances for sure, but that exact same conviction. It was wrong. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. Make it right. This matters. You've got to take care of this. And the Holy Spirit is burning in your heart. And in that moment, every one of us has a choice that we have to make. And I'm so sad to tell you, it grieves me to tell you that that couple walked away and I never saw them again. But that's the choice that each one of us has to make, isn't it? I mean, I I didn't mean to make them feel awkward. Those words were coming out of my mouth before I even knew what I was talking about before I even knew what was going on. But what was going on inside of them, it wasn't from me. It was from the Holy Spirit. And the choice that was in front of them, it's the same choice that's in front of you and I when we sense the Spirit's conviction in our heart. We can either submit to him and obey, or we can ignore him and walk away. And when we choose to ignore, the Bible calls that quenching the Spirit. It calls that resisting the Spirit. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that when we do that, we actually grieve the Spirit of God. And maybe you've ignored the Holy Spirit for so long that you don't even really hear his voice anymore. And maybe you're questioning, man, do I even have the Holy Spirit? Well, I just want to be very clear. Step one is to surrender your life to Jesus. But after you've done that, step two is not to ask, do I have the Holy Spirit Step two is to ask, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? Because it's a matter of filling. Am I saying yes to his conviction? Am I making effort toward his fruit? Am I living in obedience to the word of God? Because being filled means saying yes to God's spirit and no to the flesh. And it means doing that on an ongoing daily basis. You do it today and you say yes to the Spirit tomorrow, and you say yes to the Spirit the day after that, and in doing that, you will be filled with the Spirit. And we're gonna talk more next week about what it means to say yes to the Spirit and no to the flesh, but I want you to know this. God the Father loved you so much that he sent his Son to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificial death, and to defeat death by the power of his Holy Spirit so that you could have hope and so that you could know victory in the unseen war. And he gives that same powerful Holy Spirit to every person who had confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. And he is your counselor, he is your helper, he is your intercessor, and he will show you the wrong thing, the right thing, and why it matters. The question is, are you being filled by his Holy Spirit today? The choice is yours. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much that you have not left us alone. That though Christ 
was raised from the dead and then ascended to heaven, Lord, he told us clearly that it was for our good that he went away because he sent us the precious gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside every one of us who would follow after Jesus, surrendering our hearts to him. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Lord, if we have neglected your spirit, ignored your spirit, resisted your spirit, Father, we confess that to you this morning. And Father, we just say we want to be done with that. We want to live by your spirit. We want to be filled by your spirit. Father, we're not looking for human-sized results. We want God-sized impact in the battle, Father, in the unseen war. And so, Lord, would you help us with that? If we've said no to your spirit so much that maybe it's hard for us to even hear his voice anymore, would you give us your spirit uh, afresh, Lord? Would you let us hear his voice afresh? Would you let us hear uh, his leading and his prompting and let us feel that burning conviction in our heart again of the wrong thing and the right thing? and why it matters. Father, we tell you that we'll be listening for it, and we desire to obey. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this morning. Amen.